You're now tuned in to the Students of the Game podcast, home of the sneaky athletic sports genius, Nick Harris. Now, here comes the music. You got a beat for me? Welcome, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode one of the Student of the Game podcast. Your new home for latest news, trade rumors, analysis, scores, buzz, highlights, everything and everything of the world of basketball. I am your host, Nick Harris. And as always, I got my faithful sidekick, Jamal, here with me. This is episode one of the Student of the Game podcast. We're going to recap the NBA season. Uh, what led up to the NBA playoffs that we have now with the Warriors and the Rockets on the west side. And the Cavs and the Celtics settling out things on the east side of things. Uh, after we do the recap, we'll talk about, of course, the playoffs, NBA awards, and the uh, look into the future to the NBA draft coming up in June. So to kick things off, like I said, we'll recap the NBA playoffs. First things first, Jamal, introduce yourself. Say what's up to the people. What's up? What's, up? what's going on, world? Brief and to the point, I like that. So looking back at the NBA season, this uh, 2018 season, there's a lot of things going on. Most importantly, injuries. Um, there are several injuries, including the first game of the season where one of the most coveted free agents in uh, Gordon Hayward was injured. And what that did to the Boston Celtics season uh, is yet to play out because, as I stated, they are in the Eastern Conference Finals without him. But there are several injuries throughout the season that, uh, that played a toll into how the season panned out. Uh, amongst those, Gordon Hayward. His teammate Kyrie later in the even, later in the season, he ended up getting hurt and he's not to be found in the playoffs. Uh, you got Kawhi Leonard, Porzingis, Boogie Cousins, Markel Fultz, the number one pick up the draft, who uh, has some freakish shoulder injury, yet to play out in the NBA season. So what do, what do you say is your take on these injuries and what what is the impact that you see? in the playoffs today would it make an impact would it have changed things would it have shifted things in a in the season as far as wins losses home court advantage what do you think these injuries played in the um in the nba season how they played out i mean i don't really think any of the injuries were really that impactful because everybody's waiting for the 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 fourth uh installment of cleveland versus golden state so i think at, at the end of the day i think if Gordon Hayward, it would have played the entire season out differently. I definitely just think the the late injury to Kyrie definitely had an impact. I think if if Kyrie was playing, I wouldn't. I know I would have been excited to see Kyrie play versus Cleveland because everybody's on this wave of you know goat goat James. So I would have definitely been excited to see Kyrie. I think Kyrie getting hurt would have definitely changed the series. I don't think the series would have played out two two. The way that it is, I think low key both LeBron and Kyrie would be trying to show each other up and trying to that would that would definitely make the series a lot more intriguing and definitely would have played out a lot differently. I think there would have been a lot more incentive. But as far as other all the other injuries aren't really that impactful. Um, I think Boogie Cousins getting hurt in New Orleans, maybe that would have played something different. Maybe they would have been seated differently, and they maybe would have. But actually, they played better without him in New Orleans, but so we'll see what goes what goes on as far as him moving forward in his free agency. And Markel Fultz, I mean, I saw the I saw him last year. He looked pretty good, you know. 
you know, prior to the season, prior to, you know, the draft, like going into the last year, I mean, I was no one was really – the sentiments now about Markel Fultz and, you know, as we've seen the season play out and Donovan Mitchell, Kyle Kuzma, and obviously Ben Simmons is a second-year rookie, but I don't think anybody was – Shocked that he was the number one pick, but now the nigga can't shoot. He got this shoulder injury. His shot is flickety, and now we don't know what to make of him. So we'll see. He didn't even play in the entire series, the playoffs. So he did have a triple-double, uh, I want to say, at, towards the end of the season. But, I mean, moving forward, we'll just have to see how, you know, him and Lonzo Ball, first the number one and number two picks, we'll have to see how they develop. And both of them have issues with their shot right now. So we'll have to see how that go how that pans out. Very true, very true. Um, speaking on the Gordon Hayward and the Kawhi or not Kawhi, the Kyrie thing, um, Boston ended up as a two seed. So I it doesn't take much to imagine if Gordon Hayward is there the entire season and then Kyrie is there to play the entire season, they will get the one seed in the East, thus putting him maybe in a position to get home court advantage if let's play uh you know crystal ball future futuristic looking boston goes to play golden state in the in the championship they would have home court rather than going to oakland trying to get two games out and you know seeing how the playoffs play out they're terrible on the road uh i think home court would benefit them as far as these young guys if gordon hayward and kyrie are there the entire season uh, looking at San Antonio, they're the seventh seed without Kawhi being there the entire season. I'm sure they would they wouldn't be any competition for the Warriors or Houston at this state and point, even with Kawhi. But I feel it would have been a better outing for them. I think they got swept by uh, Golden State in the first round. Well, no, they lost one game. They lost one game. I think that was a fluke game. I think the Warriors gave that game away just to, you know, get uh, Curry back healthy before they came against um, New Orleans in that next round. But uh, as far as the other injuries, Porzingis, he was having one one heck of a year. Um, he'll bounce back pretty hard. I don't know what the future of the Knicks is, but they got a nice young core there that I feel like he was going to be able to build on. And he'll be in the playoffs next year, um, depending on how free agency plays out. I think they'll be in the playoffs next year. If he's able to play an entire year, uh, they, they should be in the playoffs. Um, Fultz, not, there's nothing to really make of that because, you know, he was coveted as the number one pick above everyone's popular pick in Lonzo Ball, but, you know, he wasn't going to get picked first. I think they would have boycotted Philadelphia if uh, they picked Lonzo Ball for his dad pushing him to L.A. But, I mean, you don't know really – you really don't know what you have in Philadelphia yet because he hasn't really played a whole season. Simmons and Embiid, as you mentioned, those guys – Next season, I see a, a very high ceiling for them. And especially if these rumors of LeBron going there play out, that's going to be a freaky team. Um, but the injuries I see played a, a large part in seeding in the playoffs, momentum of the, of the season going into the playoffs, and just how the playoffs are going to play out. Uh, like you mentioned, we're all going to see Cleveland and the Warriors in the finals, in my opinion. Uh, that's how it's going to play out, but – the road to the finals would have been a lot harder for Cleveland, in my opinion, if some injuries had not happened. Um, speaking of which, you got 
you got Kawhi and this mystery of should he have came back? Because a lot of people are, you know, questioning his his loyalty to the San Antonio Spurs and whether there's some conflict with him and Popovich because he was cleared to play, but his personal team kept him out of playing. So what, what, what do you say is your take on a player just sitting out for the better of him, especially with his free agency coming up or playing out for his team and a system that basically built him because before that, he was just what was it? he was a first round pick, but he wasn't really Kawhi Leonard until the system of the Spurs made him into that star that he is. So what do you what do you say is your take on a player sitting out for his personal benefit? Hey man, anyway, I got time for all this, man. Hey, hey, look, man, Kawhi Leonard, he still as of today, Kawhi Leonard was just offered the max deal, so obviously it didn't matter. I mean, whether to we can debate all day whether or not. Kawhi was really hindered. There was this rumor about Tony Tony Parker them having a players meeting about Tony Parker questioning whether well, I tore my entire I tore my injury was worse than your injury. But nigga, nigga, don't you ain't in my body. You know what I'm saying? So at the end of the day, if Kawhi Kawhi had his own personal training staff team that advised him that he should sit out. At the end of the day, you look at Isaiah Thomas. You know that Isaiah Thomas attempted to play for the team. And now it's gonna he gonna suffer in free agency. He's been trying to get this big contract for the past two seasons. He wanted to get it with Boston. He got hurt, hurt his hip. He ended up getting traded. Goes to Cleveland. It's not a good fit. Uh, schematically, the scheme is the scheme revolves around LeBron, and Isaiah is a ball dominant guard, just is the same way LeBron is. He needs the ball a lot to flourish. So now he gets traded, gets shipped off to to the Lakers, and then he eventually shuts it down because of this this hip injury all because he wanted to play for the team he wanted to be he wanted to be a team guy he wanted to, and this is on the heels of him playing for Boston after his sister dies so as it relates to Kawhi Kawhi did the right thing he's still he's still getting offered the max if he felt like he was hurt I don't know if he's really trying to parlay himself out of San Antonio I don't know if, what his, his future aspirations are if he wants to be a bigger the nigga don't say shit the nigga talks less than me but he got a he got a Jordan endorsement, but apparently I don't like I said I don't know if he has aspirations of doing more going to a bigger market going back home to L.A. to California. But I mean he did the right thing. What are you supposed to do, man? You got to look out for self. The team ain't gonna look out for you. And that's a very interesting point because you know in in this business world we don't know personally, but you always see players such as uh look at Blake Griffin this season. He was he just signed a big deal. He was you know a part of the the team that kept DeAndre Jordan on the Clippers as far as that future of the Clippers winning and, you know, sitting at his house and the sit-in and make him re-sign over the Dallas Mavericks. And now you look at the Los Angeles Clippers and Chris Paul's gone. Blake Griffin gets traded after that big deal. Now there's only person that's left is DeAndre Jordan. So the, the business is always going to rise. The business is always going to happen. So as a player, I don't know if I would think more for self or more for the future. Like self is more of a short-term thing. Like I want to sit out now. Well, no, no, no. I I retract. Self is more of a long-term thing because if I sit out now, I'm preventing injury that can prevent me not getting a max deal because I'm, I'm showing that I'm not able to play at a certain standard to demand a max deal. If that makes sense. Like if I go out there now and I'm injured of somewhat 
and I can't perform to the max deal standards, then when I go to negotiate these deals in the offseason, when I'm not coming back to this team, I can't demand it because my stats don't really add up. And that's what teams look at. What what can you do for me or what have you done lately? But, you know, the whole Blake Griffin thing, and then you look at Cleveland, they had a whole a roster shuffle um, about midseason where a lot of guys are shipped out. Uh, they get younger. I'm sure Isaiah Thomas and Jay Crowder and who else was there? Derrick Rose. All those guys that were there at the beginning of the season. I'm sure that... They had it marked down in their in their in their calendar to be there when the Eastern Conference Finals and the Finals came about because they were on the greatest player of all time's team, right? It, 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 hypothetically, the greatest greatest player of all time. Once you once you're on LeBron's roster, day one of the NBA season, you, you're kind of etching it in your schedule to be in the playoffs around this time of the year, the Eastern Conference Finals, and um, business takes business takes toll and all these guys are not even there and then you bring in guys like Jordan Clarkston, Larry Nance, Rodney Hood, these guys who day one of the NBA season if they're realistic didn't see themselves in the playoffs at this time of year. They probably planned a vacation day one you know realistically the Lakers weren't going to make it in the playoffs so now they're in a whole new territory of we are in the playoffs, we're in the Eastern Conference Finals, we are with arguably the greatest player of all time and uh, that's just the way the NBA works. Is is if you're if you are the player, think for self, protect yourself. But if but the team is always gonna do what's best for the team, and that's what you see with Blake Griffin, the Cavaliers, and so on. Um, also, with that's LeBron doing best what's best for LeBron. Every single, I'm so sick and tired of this narrative of LeBron never being able to have enough talent around him to do what he needs to do. At the end of the day, I think when the obviously the series now is tied two to two. I think when it was two when it was two zero, I would hope to think that Isaiah and all those players who were cast out of Cleveland are, uh, you know, doing they on a sipping their tea or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Because at the end of the day it's like I feel like these teams are built in a manner to which LeBron is the unquestioned leader and he can't play with his own peer group. Like, these guys are similar in age and, and stature and experience in the league, not say that they're as good as him, but he needs to have people who know undoubted, unquestionably look at him as the savior of the team, the, the number one go-to guy. These are all guys who came to this team who, who were once, in, at some point in their careers, the number one guy and they still see themselves as though and they all the guys who need the ball just as much as him so i think they would have at least if nothing offered the team some sort of experience and some uh leadership or something that would offer that the young players can they offer in athleticism but they don't have any type of playoff experience and they're not really showing up on the road i think derrick rose probably i mean he can, he gave minnesota good minutes Isaiah Thomas, obviously, he was hurt. Jay Crowder could have gave him something. But I just think, you know, moving forward, the team, obviously, you said the team would do what, what's best for the team. But in that case, unique, LeBron operates on different, on unique circumstances where he can kind of go out into the media. Not necessarily, well, go out into the media and still just, you know, he has the power that other players don't have. So, you know, he can kind of make moves that other players can't. Obviously, the team wants to do what they want to do for the long haul. But the, player, the players got to look out for the players. And I think at the end of the day, NBA contracts is guaranteed, so you got to go where the money goes. If the, if you got to sit to ensure that your money is secured, 
secure the bag first. That's what it's all about. Right. And just speaking on, I mean, allegedly, you got to say allegedly when you say LeBron has more power to get things done. You know, you can say him going to the media and complaining about this and that gets things done behind the scenes in the front office. But we don't know. I mean, a lot of people have this perceived conception that LeBron makes these GM moves where everybody is shipped out and the people who don't fit with him won't last long. Until we get the word from him that that happens, I don't think we can say that, but we all know it happens. You know what I mean? But um, what I was what I was getting to was the front office makes moves that puts them in place to win the championship. And then sometimes they make moves that puts them in, in the position to get that next big thing or they tank. You, you see a lot of teams tank on the other side of uh, the perspective with the Atlanta Hawks, my my team, hometown team. They they tanked this year. They got rid of Millsap. You know, they're pushing Schroeder out the door, who I thought admittedly was a better fit for the team in the future than Jeff Teague, who was who was shipped off about two years ago. Um, but now, now that I see, he's just, he's just not that leader. But um, but you know, you see the Hawks, they tank. That comes that comes out into good things because they get the third pick in the draft. Uh, the Phoenix Suns, I don't know if they tanked or were they just that young and undeveloped to where they just ended up with the worst record, but they have the number one pick at this point. Uh, Memphis was was days with injuries. They got a top five pick. Is So what is your perspective on tanking? Is it a healthy thing for the NBA with these super teams, quote-unquote super teams developing, and, uh, and the Golden State Warriors, and then you got the greatest player in uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers, quote-unquote the greatest player in the Cleveland Cavaliers, uh, LeBron James, and then you got Boston, who's a who's a young team that built their way up through trades and uh, draft picks, and then you got Houston Rockets, who can be looked at as a super team with CP3, Harden, and you know that cast of of former veterans in the NBA. Well, veterans in the NBA, but former stars in the NBA. What is your take on tanking? Is it healthy for an NBA franchise, or is it killing the game and, and making it less competitive? Hey man, look. You got to do what you got to do. I mean, everyone at this point is following the model of Philadelphia. Philadelphia tanked for like seven years. You know, they went through players and players and top fives and top three picks to eventually create the foundation of Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. We don't know. We were still up in the air with uh, Marco Fultz. They, they missed on Jaleel Okafor and Noel New Orleans. But, I mean, it's the model right now. This is – in NBA, it's more – the NBA, like no other sport, probably is it's, it's, it's solely talent driven. Like you can, you know which players are, at least to a certain extent, which players are going to be good from a young age. So, if you see the the, the Hawks attempting this this tanking method, I mean, it's going to take a couple of years, and hopefully they hit on. They have three first round picks this year. They have the three pick, the 19th pick, and they have another, I think, a late first round pick. So we'll see what they what they do with it. I mean, if everybody can follow. That method, I mean, what else are you going to do? Most players elect to stay with the team that drafted them and get the Supermax deal. So it's very difficult if you're not in a, a big city to get to lure a superstar caliber player. It's not that many. You know, Golden State is kind of like a... It's kind of like a one-of-one. One. It's kind of like the, the perfect storm. You know, people talk about... Golden State is if, you know, that 
in the super team, but they drafted those players. And so they were able to keep them, and then they were able to get Kevin Durant. So a lot of teams want to kind of – that's not a model that you can really – that you can really follow. The, the, the model that's easier to follow is the tank. And so they changed the model of how drafting and rewarding losing, then teams will continue to do it. I think I don't have an issue with it because how is you going to get good players? You can't offer them as much money. Players not finna leave $50, $60 million on, on the table just for winning. I'm sorry to say it. Like, I mean, so many players that stay with the team that drafted them take the Supermax and then they'll go to the playoffs and they won't go as far for the sake. I'm not finna leave that money on the table. I don't know how much money you leaving on the table. I'm not leaving no money on the table. A perfect example of that would be uh, Anthony Davis, who could have had his out in New Orleans, a team that really wasn't that supportive of uh, a supporting cast around him. I mean, they got Rondo and they got a couple other guys, but he could have been on a way better team than the team he's on now. And what would have been for less money, yeah, but... You know, that's just that's just the player's call at that point. You know, like you said, what are you going to leave on the table? Uh, because the future and injuries are so freakish at this time, it can all be taken away. Even though it's a guaranteed contract, until you sign that contract for that money, you're not going to get it. So, yeah, you may be chasing a ring here, but if you get injured on that team chasing the ring, you don't got the money, you're assed out. So changing gears and kind of staying on the same on the same scheme of things, the recent headlines in the NBA, speaking on my Hawks, Coach Bud, he's out. He's going to the Bucks. He's in Milwaukee now with the Greek Freak, Jabari Parker, Brogdon, a lot of time maker. He has a young cast there. But speaking on the loyalty thing and everything that we're talking about, what 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 does a coach owe an organization as far as being loyal to them? And kind of you see this thing of jumping ship because he wasn't fired and with the Hawks. It was kind of like one of those things like, hey, um, it's not you, it's me type things. If you don't let me go, I'm going a, I'm to a just, just hate myself for staying here. Because the, the Hawks, like you said, those three picks that they have with John Collins and then uh, whatever you can get for Dennis Schroeder, that, they can build a young nucleus to, to build Atlanta up. Because they're rebuilding the stadium. This is Atlanta. Atlanta is greater than Milwaukee on, in all standpoints of a city for any any free agent or any big name that wants to come to the city. So what is it that makes a coach want to go from the what he's building in Atlanta to a, a developing team in Milwaukee? Besides the obvious uh, Greek freak. Hey, man. Hey, man. These coaches ain't getting these hoes ain't loyal. That's that's the first number one thing, man. At the end of the day, left eye has already burnt this house down. Ain't nothing here. We ain't got no talent. Dennis Schroeder is up out of here. Send him out. Leave. Dennis Schroeder can leave. Budenholzer can leave. At the end of the day, what do you do when you ugly? Do you leave with the, he didn't he didn't dance with the girl who brought him to the party. He went. He found a better pretty. He found a prettier girl and he left for her. That's all that is. They got more talent. They got the next quote unquote superstar and Giannis, the Greek freak. We ain't got shit here. It's, 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 it's dead here. So at the end of the day, I think, but I think ultimately, I mean, that's the nature of coaching. We, there's a different um, connotation that, or if, that we have as far as coaches relative to players. You know, players are supposed to be loyal 
and coaches go where the best opportunity is. And that's basically what he did. So along with the new – there's a new regime, there's a new ownership, new general managers, everything here. So at the end of the day, it just made more sense to just part ways with the coach, part ways with the players that he brought in, and then just start this whole thing and then just start from scratch. Very true, very true. Um, it's just it's just a tricky slope because the coach is – is looked at everything falls back on him when things go wrong but when everything's going right they praise the players so it's a tricky slope and uh and who's the when you want to play the blame game the blame game on who gets the out when uh things go wrong you can look at Dwayne Casey for that point um you know he had the team number one seed things didn't go right I don't think it was a lack of his coaching plus him getting the coach of the year award we'll talk about that later but you know, when the blame game comes, it's always the coach that's the first one out before the players. Um, Lonzo Ball, another headline news. Lonzo Ball's in the weight room, apparently. Uh, he's less focusing on his shot and getting his his offensive moves off on opponents, but looking at getting stronger in the weight room and, uh, you know, just being able to play a tougher NBA game. Uh, it stated that his motivation is looking at Mitchell and Simmons and Tatum and these guys who are making these deep playoff runs and putting up these numbers. That's his motivation for becoming a better player. So if you are you're a Lakers fan, correct? Yeah, I, I fuck with the Lakers. Okay, so if you're a Lakers fan, I want you to shift roles and become the the GM. And if you're the GM of the Lakers and you got this free agency period coming up where Kawhi is is reachable, Paul George is reachable, and even LeBron James, who's a who's a far, 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 far fetched shot, he's reachable. What are you willing to give up as the Lakers GM, uh, Sans AIDS? What are you willing to give up as a Lakers GM to get one of those three players or whatever you would like to get? What do you see in Lonzo Ball that you want to keep or what don't you see that you want to give up? Is it just his athleticism that's keeping him from being that top-coveted rookie that he was pumped up to be by his father, rightfully so? But his rookie campaign wasn't – I don't think it even matched up to his teammate Kyle Kuzma's rookie campaign. Uh, just as far as confidence, athleticism, ability to, to get whatever shot he really wants on the court – as an all-around player, I saw Kuzma as a better player. So what what do you give up as a GM to get either Kawhi, Paul George, or LeBron James? Only player that I would consider giving up anything for is Kawhi Leonard. Um, Kawhi's 25. He's a two-way player. And Paul George is a free agent, so I'm not giving up nothing for Paul George. And LeBron's 33. I know everybody's on this wave of, oh, let's, you know, who's, let's, let's, let's throw our hats into the LeBron campaign. LeBron's 33. At some point, obviously, everybody gets hurt except for LeBron, and at some point, he's going to fall off a cliff. I mean, if you're going to build for the future, you need to build for the future. Um, we can't – his rookie season isn't a referendum on how he's going to be as a player for the future. He finished with 10-7-7, which isn't the worst series. I mean, at the end of the day, it took – Stephen Curry did with ankle injuries. It took him pretty much, I want to say, five seasons until he became the Steph Curry that we know now. Like, so not to say that – that's going to be Lazan. Lonzo's, his shot is, is flicked. Like, right? So he can't really get it. He got to, he has to decide what he's going to do with this shot. So, 
but he still has been a productive player. He hasn't had the worst rookie season we've ever seen. So with that being said, I wouldn't really necessarily – and Kyle Kuzma didn't have any pressure. He was playing with, with house money the entire season. Nobody's probably had as much pressure on them to perform as Lonzo Ball probably since LeBron, regardless of if it's self-inflicted or not. That, this, that's what he dealt with. So, I, I mean, you're, they always say the biggest improvements from year one to year two. So I'll look forward to seeing what Lonzo has to uh, – has to has in store going into his sophomore campaign. I think he'll be a lot better. I think you. I mean, ultimately, you know, he's 19 or he's 19. He has to build his body up. But I think the biggest thing is trying to figure out what he's going to do. His free throw shooting, free throw shooting is very poor, as well as you know, trying to get create his own shot and try to get that shot that he has off in front of NBA competition. I think those are the biggest things. But like I said, I the only player that I would consider doing a trade for would be Kawhi Leonard. I don't think Paul, like I said, Paul George is from the LA area as well as Kawhi Leonard, if I'm if I'm correct. But Paul George is a free agent. And as far as as far as I think it would be behoove the Lakers to stick to the plan as far as building a team post this Golden State dynasty that it seems that we're in versus trying to cause I don't even think with LeBron that I don't know if that's gonna be enough. So I think you should build for the future, like Boston and Philadelphia is, and trying to try to build your core players in hopes of you know competing for the championship. Once we figure, it, once once this Golden State run is on the on the decline. Yeah, yeah, hoping that Golden State ever goes on the decline because the the four guys they got right now are very very young and very much at the prime of their careers. So. In their drafting and in their trading, they can build up a whole young core under that that will be ready to replace them, uh, as as crazy as that sounds. But um, with that, like you're saying, if I'm the, the Lakers GM, and this is this is just one of the one of the places that players like to play because of the history of the LA, the the city of LA, I would go after Kawhi over the other two not more so for the hometown thing or the youth thing but because of what he brings to the table defense and just he stays out the way the city of LA is is live is vibrant is it's everything so you don't have to be worried as a GM of your your player getting movie deals and endorsements and always being in commercials and having all these side lives or being on TMZ every week I think with LeBron, like you said, it comes age. That's one factor. How long will he be there? What is he really going to give you for the money that you're giving up? Or the players that you'll end up having to give up if you got to trade for him and sign a trade? Or, you know, just what is he really going to give you besides a playoff run and hopes and dreams of another legend coming through and, and bringing a ring? I don't see it. I don't see the ceiling that high. Paul George, he can give you a little bit more. He's a little up in age, but... I think he brings more than LeBron in the long term. Kawhi has that 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 off thing about him that he'll stay out the limelight. He'll produce on the court. It seems like he'll just go home, do his thing. He's all about basketball. That's what you want, like a, a RoboCop basketball machine As if you're in L.A. You know what I mean? You got Lonzo Ball there. If you're not giving him up for Kawhi, let him be the poster child for the Lakers, you know, 
all in the commercials, all dancing and, and in the videos and all that. Let him be that person. But let your core person be undistracted by the city that is L.A. And that's why I would bring Kawhi in. Uh, you know, but we'll 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 have to see how this plays out. This will be one of the more interesting off seasons, not only because there's a big class. I don't think it's such a big class. It's just the key players that are available. That domino effect that they present can can shift the whole league once again. Like this this past season was a big shift, but I think these players that are going out and looking for other teams to play on can lead to another big shift. We just talked about uh, Carl Anthony Towns um, wanting out, quote-unquote, wanting out of uh, Minnesota and going to Phoenix. And the rumor is they're willing to trade that number one pick for him to uh, be reunited with Devin Booker. That's dangerous if you're the Phoenix Suns. You get Carl Anthony Towns and Devin Booker, that's, that's two of the top five future players in the NBA. Five years from now, those guys are make, are making playoff runs with whatever they can develop around them and, and looking at championships. You know what I mean? Devin Booker's a lethal shooter. Klay Thompson Jr., in my opinion. And then, uh, you know, Carthony Towns is just the next big thing going up. So I'll be interested to see how that plays out. Uh, shifting gears, we're going to talk about the conference finals that is in the current state. As of right now, this is May 22nd. Um... We're at a 2-2 lockup with the Eastern Conference. Uh, Cleveland did their thing. They did what they're supposed to do. They won their two games at home. Uh, Expectantly so on my part. Um, I didn't really see Cleveland playing too hard in Boston. My thing with LeBron, I think he likes to feel out his opponent in the first game or so. and that's dangerous because he's always going to play from behind if he does that. But in that first round against Indiana, they went to game seven. I don't think it even had to go to game seven if LeBron is as aggressive and athletic as he is that whole series. Um, I think that whole series was a whole tryout session. He's trying to see what he has in those young players. Like I mentioned before, Clarkson, Nance, Hood. Hood's been in the playoffs before, but... Nance and Clarkson, these guys are fresh out the water. I don't think they've ever played in the playoffs before, uh, let alone with this this caliber of player outside of Kobe going going on his way out. I don't think they played with a player this great in this state of his career and with this much attention and expectation. Like playing with Kobe, he's a legend, but he's on his way out. So they weren't they weren't looked at as far as making the playoffs and making a championship run. They just knew they had a legend on their team and a legend on their roster that they could build from. But when they get moved to Cleveland, um, I don't think they were quite ready for the playoffs. And I think LeBron seen that. And if you look at the series, a lot of those games they could have won if LeBron is just that much more aggressive. And then, you know, second round, they sweep Toronto, which is like a cakewalk. But it's also a setup. Because it was so easy for them to win with LeBron just doing what he does. They sweep them. They get kicked in the mouth the first game against Boston. And that's where we're at now where Boston is just whooping their tail at home. But I think LeBron is still playing the game of who can I get? Who can I get into this rotation to to look for the next round? That's what I get from LeBron. He hasn't given off any uh, anything to, to make me feel that way. But what I get from LeBron, he likes to fill out 
the next step. Now, he's not looking at the game that he's at right now. You get that attitude when you look at his post-game conferences. Like, this means nothing. I've been in different different eras and different, you know what I'm saying, different games, levels of games. So these losses that I take right here don't mean nothing because I'm looking at the next level. And I, what I get from that is, like, he's, looking, he's, he'll, he'll, he's willing to take that loss game one in Boston just to find out who's really ready around him. You know what I mean? Like, who's really ready around him? Who can he depend on? So you get punched in the mouth game one. Game two was another blowout or whatever. Boston plays well at home. But you see in game three and four, LeBron is just taking over. He found who's going to be willing to play with him. So to get that fire started, you win two games in a row. You get that momentum to go back in Boston where the Celtics played very well. They're like six and one or eight and one, whatever in one at home. They only lost one game, I believe, to the Sixers in this. Who was it? Huh? No, I believe they lost one. But whatever their record is, they play Jekyll and Hyde. Like, whatever their record is at home, it's just about the record they play on the road. And LeBron is noticing that. He knows he can get his wins in Cleveland. And it all is up to him is to go to Boston and steal one. So what do you see in this series that intrigues you? Or or makes you question the outcome. Nothing. Both teams have held. Both teams have just basically held serve. One at home. I'm not intrigued by anything in this series. The only thing I'm intrigued with is the possibility of LeBron deciding. Well, if it goes, if I lose in this series, then I ain't gotta lose to the Warriors. I mean, if the Warriors finish off Houston, if they win tonight, then it, it looks like they'll close out. Uh, Houston at some point but I mean at the end of the day it's two teams that are incapable of having shown that they can win on the road so uh, Boston I would just because they have the home court seems as though they still have the upper hand just because they don't have to win they don't have to win in Cleveland but it will be it would be difficult potentially to win game seven even though it'd be at home versus LeBron LeBron he'll put you know he'll play for all 48 minutes and you know, put up a huge stat line. But, I mean, I, I, I haven't seen anything, obviously, since it's, since both teams have played on opposing teams' floor that that's impressive at this point. Um, it really doesn't matter. I think LeBron's just looking for a little bit of help on the road. We'll see if it can carry over. But at the same time, Boston will be looking to rebound. So, they play – a lot of those young players and role players play well at home. So, I mean, game five will be the the best game of the series, and whoever wins games five is going to win this series, and that's it's period. Whoever wins, I can I can take that I can take that action in Vegas. You know what I mean? Whoever wins this this game five because it's what two two one one one. So if Cleveland can win in Boston, which is what they'll need if they don't win in game five, they got to win game seven. Uh, pending they win in Cleveland, I think game five is the one that they want. And then knowing that Boston is terrible on the road would want to come back to Cleveland to end the whole series to prevent a whole Game 7 debacle of, you know, Boston playing up and above and beyond their talents uh, for the pressure and for the, the home squad. And you were, you were correct that they are 9-0 at home. So it's really on LeBron to find out what he has in his team You've seen Kyle Corbett play some outstanding defense this last game, game four. Um, J.R. Smith is getting going. 
the one thing I, I feel like he's, or not him, but Ty Lue is really pulling, holding back the trigger on is Rodney Hood. Like this guy in Utah was, was on the, a budding, a budding star. I won't say all star. I won't say superstar, but he was getting buckets. You don't really see Utah on TV, but when you did, you kind of saw Rodney Hood getting buckets. You know what I mean? The Duke, the Duke lineage and all that. You you know he got the game, but it seems like there's something in in Cleveland that's kind of pushing him out of that 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 space where he's not comfortable shooting the ball or playing that second fiddle to a second fiddle because LeBron is one. He's one. Kevin Love and 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 Kyle Korver and J.R. Smith, they're they're like second fiddle. So the others outside of that are are looked at to be the guys who who get the garbage points or the scrap points. And I don't think Rodney Hood is made for that. Going from Utah where he was at to that level of that tier of scoring in Cleveland. I think if it doesn't pan out in this game five or this series, the Warriors are gonna are gonna bring that out of him because they're gonna be running the running the court or, or the Rockets. Nothing's been decided there. I think Rodney Hood will be the the X factor from the playoffs on out. Cause I feel like that's just their secret weapon. They haven't really let go. Nigga ain't that good, but the nigga can play. I mean, I feel like he was in Utah when he was getting buckets, and he, you know, average from I want to say 17, 18 points a game. I think you a basketball player, I'm not. So, but at the same time, I feel like, um, regardless of who you are, basketball players don't want to play second fiddle to nobody. And so, I think that's a lot of the, some of the things rumored to be that you know that was going on with Kyrie. It's like obviously, even though you're LeBron, it's like, yo, man, I can play. You know, so I think maybe some, there's some hesitation as far as him feeling like he has the green light whenever he's playing. He don't really know exactly what role he wanted. That was the issue with him, I guess, rumored to be not wanting to go into the garbage minutes, going into the game with garbage minutes. You know, he wants to go in with impact, with, you know, extended minutes and play and actually, you know, have an actual role versus just coming in for, for late minutes. Or even when he gets the time, you know, it's difficult, you know. Uh, you you you, ne- you don't have Tyron Lue has a, a set rotation, and so. But at the same time, it's your job as a player to always be ready when your number's called. And well, see, my my reference point on this is Tristan Thompson, right? He didn't even play more. We're looking at it right now. He didn't play more than ten minutes until the sixth game of the series against the Indiana Pacers, and that's outrageous. He wasn't he wasn't hurt. He wasn't in trouble. He just had some things going on in TMZ. That should never affect basketball. That's what we know as a fan. But if you look at that as a reference point, he didn't play more than 10 minutes until game six of the uh, the Pacers series, and that was on the road. He played 14 minutes, but he played 35 minutes in game seven, gets 15 points and 10 rebounds. They win. Then from there on, he's he's in the rotation. So I think LeBron kind of helped. Not I keep saying LeBron, but Lou kind of held him back. Like, look, I want to see what else we got over here. Kevin Love, we know what we got in him, but I'm gonna hold you back. We know we can win this series if you if you hurt, we can win this series. But I'm gonna hold you back and let's see what we got in uh, these other players that 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 we can kind of build on. And then while I throw you in, we really need you. 
quote like thus being game six, game seven, where I really need you to win us this series to get to the next round. So I think that's what they're doing with Rodney Hood. They're going to throw him in. You see George Hill coming around. He's new to the team. He's a vet, but he's new to the team. He's been in the playoffs with the Pacers. Um, he's had those deep runs. So he's coming around. And I think they're just like one by one carouseling these guys into the rotation, getting them to the comfort level of the NBA finals that are coming about that I think they'll make it to because they're going to win game five and they'll win game six. That's what you hear from me. So so what do you see in LeBron? Like, is he is he really that unstoppable that we're just giving him this this leeway into the into the finals? Or is it just me? Is he is he unstoppable? Cause if you ask me, this is the athlete of our time. You play basketball, right? You play high school basketball. Have you ever played against eighth graders when you was in high school? You ever played against middle schoolers? Yeah, I mean you've you've had those occurrences where the middle school has come up. These that I mean, I feel like it's a different perspective. I don't know where you're going with it, but they've come up. So, so what happens is LeBron is this dominant versus the East. The East has been clearly the weaker conference for the the better of the last eight years that he's been on this run going to the finals. So it's LeBron versus the JV team. He's clearly the best player. He's clearly the best athlete. He's the most experienced. He's the most talented. And he's playing against all the best players and the best teams are in the West. So he's he's on par when he plays against, you know, the champion of the West. When he goes to the finals, it's it's a it's a coin toss. He won he won that championship in sixteen, quote unquote. You know, we know what happened there, but he still won it. So when he plays against the, the West, then it's a toss up. But when he plays the East, he he has these guys hard. A lot of you we seen the the pictures circulating on Twitter, a lot of these guys in the in the Western or in the Eastern Conference, these guys were his camp. A lot of these guys look up to him. They grew up to him. This is a very young Boston team. A lot of these guys, you know what I'm saying, they they idolize LeBron. You know, so it's this big brother, little brother, you know, relationship that he has with the East. A lot of these guys, and truth be told, it's just not like a lot of guys that are on the level of LeBron as the same as in the West. So, it's not really even the competition. Mentally, he's got he's in these guys' minds, and on the court, he, he's just better than them. It's just not that many good teams, and the, the the future of the East looks bright. But right now, this it's not even really close. It's not to say that he's not great or that he's not a really good player, but the comp it's not even on the same level. You can't really compare what LeBron is doing. It's 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 a lot more of him being dominating lesser qual lesser teams than it is just him asserting his greatness amongst the greats. Okay. I mean, I could take that. It's whenever you got a legend like that, like you can go back, you can look at Kobe, you can look at Jordan. Anytime there's a, a, a turning of the tide, that legend is always going to have those who looked up to him coming into the NBA and you got to look at it as a perspective of are they playing against him or are they just want to are they just happy to be playing with him cuz i'm sure jason tatum and uh terry rozier who you're referencing in these these pictures they these are the guys that went to his camp they got pictures with them as youngins going to his camp looking up to him asking him to follow him on twitter so 
you have to question whether these guys are mentally ready to play against him or just happy to be in a moment of, oh my God, I'm on LeBron. And you got the guys like Marcus Morris who are tough-nosed, competitive guys who don't care who they're on the court against. They're willing to step up, play that matchup. They're not starstruck. And I think that's what's going, that's the only thing that's going to take LeBron out the East. Uh, he's been to however many Eastern Conference Finals in the last number of years and however many finals, finals in the last number of years. And I don't think anyone's going to dethrone him until they take that, that take him off of that pedestal of him being here and them being there, whether they admit it mentally or not. As long as you look up to that player as the legend that he is, you're never going to feel like you're on the same platform as him in the NBA today. Um, I think that, that this about does it for the East. So if we shift over to the West, this is a matchup that I feel like everyone pretty much knew was going to happen. The Warriors and the Rockets. The Warriors are who they are. They are the, the, the created team plus one. You know what I mean? The Warriors were looked at as the team of the future three years ago when they won their first championship with Curry, Thompson, and Draymond Green. These guys are never going to get as old as the NBA is moving um, because they're all homegrown. They're all drafted. And then you add the the MVP in Durant. Last year, they win the championship after going, what, 73 wins? No, 73 wins was the year before. So they... They add Durant to whatever they got already. They win the championship. Now, these guys are just... You're not going to expect them to ever not be in the Western Conference Finals unless somebody got seriously injured. Then you get the Rockets, who have James Harden, arguably the MVP of the season. Uh, You add Chris Paul and a a, a cluster of other guys in the P.J. Tuckers, Gerald Green's hometown kid, Trevor Ariza. Clint Capella, who's coming around, uh, Eric Gordon, six men of the year, whenever he was six men of the year, uh, was it two years ago, last year? You got those guys, and you got Dan Tony, who's a master of the offense, and pretty much a whole roster full of offensive guys, uh, very few defensive-minded guys. So this matchup, I, I think some people saw this day one, we're all getting the matchup that we want. And as it stands right now, May 22nd, the Rockets are down 2-1. So what do you make of this series? What do you make of this matchup that we all wanted? And all these games have been blowouts. It hasn't been like a close knockout game where it came down to the last shot or anything went to overtime. All these games have been blowouts. When the Rockets won, it was a blowout. When the Warriors have won, it's been a blowout. So what do you make of this matchup? And what do you see as the problem of it not being a close game? It's a. I think I. I think we've talked about this a lot. I think you have, when you have a model, in which Golden State is, you have four superstar players, and I feel like they're playing a brand of basketball that every no one else can play. And I just feel as though Houston during the regular season did a great job. They beat the actually beat the Warriors two out of three times that they they played each other. But I think that you have a team versus you have James isolation players versus um, kind of what they call them. I guess they call it a motion offense and guys who constant in motion and, and going to state. And they also play defense. They have, a, they have a lot of length. And I just feel as though you just don't have the firepower to compete with them. I think what makes James Harden great 
is to the detriment of what makes Golden State great. I think we have a lot of we live in a time where James Harden plays playground basketball. Chris Chris Paul, he's a floor general and he can he gets a lot of assists, but his 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 style is kind of playground as well. But you have four players on the Warriors who have four different skill sets who don't need the ball. They all can move without the ball, and it it doesn't. And that's the way that's the way the Spurs have always have always played, and that's what always made the Spurs great and always made them hard to beat. So when you have four elite athletes in their prime who have four different skill sets who don't need the ball, it's hard to see where you're gonna get the 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 production from. So you can always if one player Steph had his off he was off the first two games, first two and a half games, and Kevin Durant carried them. I just don't feel like and it's it's into a bigger level. You have two of the greatest score shooters that we've ever seen. They're playing a totally different game. James Harden can shoot, but he's not Steph Curry, at least with the with the shot, you know, whatever. But so you have you have teams trying to mimic what they're doing, and they just can't. So until the Warriors decline, unless it's a great upset, I don't see them losing. I don't think it's it's. It's it's not good to say that a team is unstoppable because anybody can be beat. Um, it's not it's not so much at any given Sunday sport as football, but I feel like any team can be beat. But the the trick in the NBA is that it's not a one time thing. You have to beat a team four times out of seven in order to be looked at as better than them or to move to the next round or to advance or to win a championship. And in this day and age, I don't think there's ever going to be a team that can beat these 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 guys four times in a seven-game series. I don't think you'll get the best of these guys because, like you said, once Stephen Curry is off two and a half games, you don't even really notice it because Durant is going for 30, 40 points. And if, if he doesn't do it, Klay Thompson is getting the heater going, and he might score 60. Well, he might score 50 or he might score 40. You never know what you're going to get. You never know who's going to be off or who's going to stick up because whoever's going to take up for it is is going to kill you by themselves. You got Durant, Curry, and Thompson. Those guys can beat you by themselves. Draymond, he's just the glue that brings all of that together. He can never beat you by himself. If Durant, Curry, and Thompson are hurt, you can forget about it. Draymond's not going to beat you by himself. But if at least two of them guys are healthy, he, he'll glue it together. He'll get that triple-double. He'll distribute. He'll rebound. He'll do all the dirty work that it takes to get those guys going. And I think that's a dangerous combination. Um, this series, I don't see it going much past five. They'll win tonight. They'll win in Houston. And you might might as well call that a wrap because these, these guys, once Curry gets going, it's going to be nasty. Um... If, if they do lose, though, is anybody to blame? Because, you know, Harden had that that tick on him that he choked when OKC went the first time and he was Durant's teammate and they played Miami. He was looked at as the, uh, you know, the outcast of the series because he didn't, really, he didn't really step up. And he's been known to kind of take the back seat in these, in these conference finals or these big games where he doesn't really show up. So let's say he does lose this series or he... He's a part of a team that loses this series. Does he take the blame? Or is it the new guy in the, in the game where Chris Paul is the first-timer in the Western Conference Finals? Or can you place the blame on Dan Tony, who's never really, really been looked at as a complete coach, but he's an offensive coach. 
uh, yeah, that really can't bring it all together to get that championship team. He had the Suns. They had that 60-win season. They were supposed to win it all, but he could never really bring it together. So who would you place the blame on, if any, if Houston is not able to bring this together? The Golden State Warriors. It's not, it's not, it ain't, it ain't got nothing to do with you. It's not you, it's me. You know, it's not an issue of, of, of James Harden not, not showing up, even though he didn't show up last year and he didn't show up versus Miami. It don't really, it's not, it's nothing you can do. If all four of those guys are healthy, I don't see them being beat four times. So even though they had they won 65 games and D'Antoni is the offensive guru and all this other nonsense, like it it it's not it's not your time. It's like you, there's nothing you can do. You can't you can't get mad at Reggie Miller and the Pacers for not beating Michael Jordan. Like that's where we at. If we if the things continue to the way that, that most people project, if they go on and beat Houston, I wouldn't see it. They, especially if they win tonight. They shouldn't even have this much difficulty in the in the NBA championship with either of the Eastern t- Conference teams. So it's just it's just a time. It's it's a perfect storm, and it's not necessarily. But if we got to blame somebody, I'm gonna blame I'm gonna blame James Harden just because it's his team. I mean, at the end of the day, he's he the leader. He's the leader of the team. You know, him and Clint Capella, they've been doing a lot of talking. We better than them. You know, this is what they've been waiting for the whole time. But so, you know, sometimes you just get punched in the mouth. And it, it, it piggybacking on that and segue into our next segment, because, I mean, it's it's the Warriors series to lose. I mean, they lost one game, but I don't think Houston will ever play that well again with four guys getting over 20 points and P.J. Tucker, Reza, Harden, and uh, Eric Gordon getting 20 points. That's not going to happen again. So it's theirs to lose. But on your speaking that it is James Harden's team – and word on the street is he is the MVP of the season. We're going to talk about these NBA awards, okay? So NBA NBA awards are coming up, and I think there's there's only like one surefire award winner this year, and that's the most improved category. I don't know if you agree on that, but Victor Oladipo is hands down the most improved player uh, in this NBA season, going from OKC as second fiddle uh, into the Indiana Pacers, back to the Indiana Pacers, where you know he becomes this star of sorts. I don't think anyone can argue that Capella or Spencer Dinwiddie or whatever his name is are are going to win that award over him. Uh, would you agree on that first? Yeah, I, I mean, I think you know uh, Oladipo is going. He's going to be a landslide win for the most improved player. Okay, so going going to these other awards, we got – I'll save the best ones for last. So let's go defensive player of the year. Uh, a lot of people don't really pay attention to the defense. Most of the times when you do see a defensive player of the year, unless they're like a standout rookie, I mean uh, guard that just getting steals and blocks and all that, it's always going to be a big guy who, who holds down the fort in the paint. Um, so you got Rudy Gobert. Joel Embiid and Anthony Davis. Uh, I mean, if you ask me, flip a coin. I don't really pay that much attention to that detail of the game to see who's going to get it. All these guys are obviously uh, uh, superstars in the making, if they're not already one, as far as like Embiid and and Gobert. But, um, I mean, give it to whoever. If you want to ask me, Anthony Davis 
is is the most appealing one. And B would be less appealing because Gobert, as far as my knowledge goes, gets more blocks a game. So I would give it to AD. I, I, I wouldn't say who you would give it to. My coach of the year? Well, hold on. Who would you give defensive player of the year to? Draymond Green. Draymond Green. So that's your write-in. All right? You got a write-in. You you vote none of the above. Draymond Green is the, the defensive player of the year. Any elaboration on that, or is that just you're going with that, you're sticking with that? All right, cool. So coach of the year. Uh, the winner of the coach of the year has already been announced. That's Dwayne Casey. He has no job at this point. Um, I personally don't agree that he was coach of the year to begin with. I think Brad Stevens, uh, dealing with the things that he dealt with in Boston, his top two, top two uh, catches of the offseason are hurt. So he's dealing with these young guys, these veterans, and he's building up this team. And he's in the Eastern Conference Finals without them. Uh, game one, his most coveted free agent is hurt. Kawhi, uh, Kyrie is hurt sometime throughout the season and he's still winning without so I think that is a product of his coaching and his system playing out and I think he deserved coach of the year um, reports say that he didn't get any votes from from his peers so what do you make of that and who would you say is your coach of the year I echo that I would say that uh, Brad Stevens is definitely the coach of the year um, I wouldn't have fired Dwayne Casey until the Boston Celtics won the first game because either you can't scheme well enough versus the Cavaliers or you aren't able to get the the last bit of the toothpaste out of the tube with the team that you had in, in Toronto. So, and as far as him not getting no hits, niggas be hating. Toothpaste out of the tube? Um, I'm thinking to add that to the Webster's, Webster's Dictionary of uh, Metaphors. I never heard that one before. But, um, yeah, I, I agree. I, I think Brad Stevens should have won it. Uh, what's said is done what's done is said um, maybe they're just hating I don't know he's a, he's a college coach coming up to the ranks he's still winning so that means his stuff works you know even without his main guy Gordon Hayward was his guy in college and he won without him so I guess it's a little salt in, in, in their dishes um, for him not to get at least one vote Quinn Snyder would be the other uh, coach of the year candidate Let's see, where we're we gonna go. Sixth man of the year. It should be locked down Lou Williams, runner uh runner up Eric Gordon, who won it what last year or the year before. But Lou Williams, I think his knock is that um most people don't look at him as a starter because he plays starter minute. I mean, don't look at him as a sixth man. They look at him as a starter who just happens to come off the bench. You know, if you look at his minutes, he plays starter minutes. He led the team in scoring. Uh, is that a fair assessment of him to not be looked at as a sixth man um, just because of the minutes that he plays? Or is it a technicality thing that he is a sixth man of the year because he actually comes off the bench and he doesn't start a game? What is your take on that? And who would you vote for? My vote is Lou Williams, but who would your vote be? First off, I don't keep up with niggas who come off the bench, but since Lewis come off the bench, that nigga is, is a sixth man. He ain't a starter. If, you ain't, if he don't start the game, if he ain't doing the pounds and, yo, how you doing, man? How's the family? At the beginning of the eight, at the beginning of the toss up at the game, the nigga come off the bench. He comes off the bench. It don't matter how many minutes he play, the nigga come off the bench and he get buckets. I don't keep up with niggas that come off the bench who's that, who's other, other other players who are in contention for the sixth man award. So if Lou Williams is the presumed favorite for that award, 
I know he get buckets, and I I would also echo that Lou Williams deserves six man of the year award. The other candidates would happen to be, like I said, Eric Gordon and uh, Fred Van Fleet from the Toronto Raptors, who I don't I don't really know too much about for him to be nominated. I well, I won't question his nomination, but I don't think he has any contention against the man that is Lou Will, uh, six man like Lou Will. Um, let's see where we're going to go next. I go with rookie of the year before we get to the MVP. The rookie of the year, I think this is the most debated uh, award of the year. It's not the most, it's not the highest. Of course, the MVP is the most coveted. Everyone wants to be the MVP, but I think this year it's a unique matchup in the nominations that Jason Tatum is there. Uh, he's still in the playoffs. I think he's the only nominated player that's still, he is the only nominated player that's still in the playoffs. And leading his team in scoring, um, well, him and Jalen Brown all set. But he's leading uh, leading the Boston Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, I don't even think people look at him as an uh, uh, honorary nominee. I think the argument is between Donovan Mitchell and Ben Simmons, and the, and the the whole debate here is just like we talked with Lou Williams. People don't look at him as a six man; they look at him as a starter. People aren't honoring Ben Simmons as a rookie because he's technically a second-year player but has yet to log a minute as a rookie. So this year he would be – it would be his rookie campaign. But, you know, last year he traveled with the team whenever or, you know, trained. He's getting NBA training. He has a whole year of NBA checks under his belt. You know, he has that whole lifestyle down pat. And I think – the hand, the upper hand that you get in that, even though you don't log an NBA minute, you get the lifestyle down pat, and that's a lot of rookies' problem is adjusting from back in the day high school going to NBA or the college lifestyle going to the NBA, getting those checks, going city to city, uh, you know, every other day or traveling, eighty-two games in a season, which is unparalleled to the college with what, 30 games in the March Madness, 82 games for the season, traveling, that whole calendar, paycheck, all of that things. He had he had a whole year to get that down pat and then play the game, all the while training for the game. He's getting the training. It's kind of like a cheat code, you know what I mean? Getting that upper hand. Blake Griffin went through that, um, and he won Rookie of the Year, that I believe, but I don't think he had much competition to go against. So you got this player in Donovan Mitchell, who is the first player, the first rookie, uh, I believe, since Magic Johnson, correct me if I'm wrong, to lead his team in scoring and at least two other categories and make it to the playoffs. Um, And I think that should be well, 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 well awarded than the Ben Simmons story you know what I mean because it's just like come on man you you had a whole year to get adjusted you you've been training you've been an NBA player a whole year you had a red shirt year that's cheating I don't think he should be awarded for being quote-unquote rookie of the year but a lot of people feel that he will win that award and I think he will win that award do I feel like he deserves it no but if you ask me who's gonna win it Ben Simmons who deserves it Donovan Mitchell how I would like to see it played out Co-rookie of the year. I think the last time they did it was um, Jason Kidd and Grant Hill. So I would like to see that happen if 
I can't get a one way or the other type Donovan Mitchell or nobody type thing. I would like to see co rookie of the year. What do you, what was your what is your take on the Ben Simmons thing going back to Lou Williams as far as people how they look at you and what you really are? That ain't his fault. I mean, that's just like I said, it's a technicality. But you know, uh, it's not the first time it happened. I don't think why people are making it. Uh, they're making it a bigger issue this year. Um, I think if nonetheless it should be cold. Since they have done it before, they should just be. It should just make it easy. They should be be cold uh, rookies of the year. And then if they feel they need to change the rule, then change the rule. But you know, it's not Ben Simmons' fault. He didn't play. A, he did not play a minute as a traditional true first year out of college rookie. It's not his fault that the rule stands that he can still uh, be up for the award. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, he, you said he got used to the lifestyle. It's hard having holes in that many cities. It's 40 cities. It's 82 games. It's 40, 41 games on the road. I'm sure that's something hard to manage. So at the end of the day, but I would give it to, I would really give it to Donovan Mitchell just because he came straight out of college. And so I feel like whoever had, who had the better record? They both went to the playoffs. They both lost. Uh, second round, so whoever had the, whoever they both you know had similar seasons in that regard. So whoever had the better, whatever whichever team had the better record, I give it to. The, if I was only gonna give it to one person. Now to answer your question, um, <clears throat> the Philadelphia Sixers, seventy Sixers ended the season fifty two and thirty, and the Utah Jazz forty eight and thirty four. So to your standards, Ben Simmons wins because of the record. To that, I would say. Sixers had Joel Embiid. It, was he not a number one pick? No. What was he? Number two pick? Number two, number Top five pick, right? You got Joel Embiid, Markel Fultz, who we already stated didn't play much, of if any. So the Sixers have more help, quote-unquote. It wasn't just a Ben Simmons show. But like I said, the Utah Jazz, he is that team. He came about, I think, right before the All-Star break, and then the second half of the season he blew out the water. But he led that team to that record. So he's he's more responsible for what it is that they accomplished, and I feel like he should deserve it outright. MVP, our nominations are Harden, James, AD. Guys on a one-name basis, LBJ, AD, Harden. Um, a lot of people feel that Harden deserves this MVP. They had the, the Houston Rockets had the best record in the league um, by at least six games we're looking at. Uh, you know, this wasn't one of those years where a lot of people saw this team being this good this fast with Chris Paul coming in and uh, the level that they got to last year. So I personally think that LeBron James should never lose the MVP award. He deserves an MVP award every year. He is the most, by definition, the most valuable player ever. You could take LeBron James and you could put him on the Chicago Bulls. The Chicago Bulls are going to be a playoff team, right? If you take LeBron James and you put him on the L.A. Clippers, the L.A. Clippers are going to be a playoff team, right? If you take him off the Cleveland Cavaliers, we're talking lottery. Even though they got Kevin Love and Kyle Korver and all these guys, they're, they're, in the, they're not in the playoffs. If they are in the playoffs, they're scraping to get the A seat. They're nowhere near the Eastern Conference Finals, let alone the NBA Finals. Put LeBron James on the Phoenix Suns with Devin Booker. We're talking, we're talking playoffs. 
at the very least. Every time I say it, playoffs, that's the very least. Where they go in the playoffs, it's up to how he feels. Second round, third round, finals. We'll have to see. But you can put LeBron James on any NBA team. And I know ESPN did this experiment where you can kind of click any team in the NBA and put LeBron on it, and it'll give you a plus minus on the wins that they get for that season and a simulation of how far they go. And it was only like two or three teams that you could put them on that they won't improve. And I think that's unrealistic. You can put LeBron James on any team, on any conference, and they'll make the playoffs automatically. I don't feel the same about James Harden. I don't think he's the most valuable player on that team. I think if you take him off of that team, they're still in the playoffs. They may be like a 6, 7, 8 seed, especially with the way this uh, playoffs played out with the 3 seed through, what, the 9 seed. They're only like three games, four games apart. I don't think Houston falls that far down. They can be the 3 or the 8 seed. But LeBron James, in my opinion, in my opinion, should never lose the MVP award because he is the most valuable player in our time. What is your take on that? And who would you say is the most valuable player this year? How many teams is LeBron James casting checks for, man? We're not going to play this if game. We're not going to play this if was a fifth type game. Forget all that. You know what I'm saying? He plays for the Cleveland Cavaliers. They finished fourth in the Eastern Conference. And that's where they stood. James Harden, they won 65 games. They won 15 more games in the tougher conference than LeBron James. He was the leader of the team. He led the league in scoring. Like we not like I just think that's I think it's it's disrespectful to the other players who play in the league to play this game of oh oh well if LeBron played on this team they would be nah man he played for the one he played for the team that cashes checks you know what I'm saying he, it's the team he chose to play for just like every other player James Harden was the best player on the Houston Rockets he led them he was the leader of that team they won 65 games 15 games more than the Cleveland Cavaliers seven games more than any other team. And he led the league in scoring. In the discussion. So, you would argue that the MVP should always be best player, best team? Or is it just depending on the type of year that they had as opposed to their opponents? Is it always best best player, best team? Or is it just something that of the year that he had with the points per game, leading the, leading the league in points per game? What is your analysis on that decision is it always best player best team not necessarily i think that's the way it panned out this year i think it's a matter of uh circumstances and i think last year russell westbrook they were like the eighth seed but he left prior to last season he lost kevin durant and he let he did something that hadn't been done in 40 years and so he and he did it again this year but his team didn't he had a little bit more help but they didn't really fare as well so it just depends. It's not necessarily a best player on the best team every year, but I don't think there was anything that was done exceptional, whether it was individually or team-wise, by LeBron this year to warrant him to win the MVP over James Harden. Fair analysis, fair analysis. And I, like I said, I, I want to do, I agree. Harden is going to win it. That's who I think is going to win it. I feel like LeBron, LeBron deserves it. He should never lose it just by definition of the award. But, um, you know, you, you see these things over the years with Steve Nash winning it, when Kobe arguably should have won it, and 
Shaq should have won it or Jason Kidd winning it when other players should have won. Uh, it's just one of those things that I feel like it's circumstantial. It's either the beholder and, you know, however the however the weather fares during those times as far as if they're looking for the best player, best team, or the best stats of the year, or the most outstanding just all-around player, you're never going to get the most consistent outcome if you're looking for that award. Um, and, I, I, you know, James Harden's going to win it. LeBron deserves it. And uh, we'll just see how this pans out. Like I said, this is May 22nd. Tonight we got the Houston Rockets versus the Golden State Warriors. I'm predicting another blowout. Um, it's just not much they can do. We do appreciate. We're gonna bring this one to a close. You got anything else we want to say before we close out? Anything that people can find you on? Any shout outs? Your book? Anything? Oh yeah. So we can shout out. Um, find me on uh, Instagram, Fortune Hendrix, Hendrix with two X's. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Jizmal. Don't judge me, J I Z Z M A L. Um, you can also follow, if you follow me on Instagram at Fortune Hendrix. Once again, Hendrix with two X's. You can follow. You can follow me and uh, find my ebook entitled "Black Boys Fly." Uh, all the information is there, the videos and everything. You can check it out there, and uh, that's about it. All right, so you got your book going. Uh, my book is still in the works. Uh, I got my first sentence completed a couple months ago. Going to get that going. You can follow me on all platforms. The one N H T H E number one N H sounds. Sounds like I was read. Um, my travel blog, I just posted all of my favorite travel pictures. Uh, the one in ace.wordpress.com. We'll be updating that. This has been the Students of the Game podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, feel free to give any feedback. You can listen to us on SoundCloud. This will be on SoundCloud, Apple, Google Play, all platforms. Feel free to spread the word. We're going to be looking to give you just weekly updates on our takes on the NBA's current state of form and all things basketball. When the NBA draft comes around, we're going to be looking at what teams should take who. Uh, like I said, free agency, everything, man. We're going, to, we're going to have it all here. Feel free to subscribe on all platforms. Feel free to spread the word. This has been the Students of the Game podcast. I am Nick Harris, a.k.a. the Sneaky Athletic Sports Genius. Peace out. Terrible.